we're talking this morning about the seed of God's word cast by the sower Jesus into perfect soil except it had thorns in it. I taught at Anders University Theological Seminary for 10 years and the soil in Michigan is dark and rich and deep. Anything can grow there. It's so different than the clay soil of Ringgold, Georgia, where I live. And one summer, I really worked hard to plant a good garden, variety of vegetables. But because of a traveling program to preach around the country, we didn't go back till about three weeks or four weeks. By the time we came back, there was a lot of rain. I did not recognize my garden, my poor tomato plants and, and corn and, and radishes and all of that. Why? Because the weeds covered everything. So you can still have a good soil. You can still have a good heart receptive to God's word, but you may allow thorns and thistles and briars to grow there. To show the word of God where you cannot recognize it anymore. And by the way, as you notice as farmers or gardeners, it takes effort, discipline, tenacity to raise a good crop. You don't have to work at raising weeds. They just come naturally. And some of them are so nasty, it's hard to kill them. I have even weeds growing through the asphalt, through a crack in my driveway, they come up. Well, tomatoes never come up from a crack in the road. You notice how the parables about the sower, they either go from the worst to the best, or from the best to the worst. Things are getting better. This is better than hard ground that nothing grows. It's certainly better than the, um, than the ledge of rock with a thin one-inch soil. At least something is growing. And I have rich soil, but you have thorns growing. And apparently nobody was there to weed. I, I mean, some of you, I met many of you here. Some of you are gardeners. Some of you are farmers. How many here are committed to weeding your garden? Let me see your hands. What's, what's, the, what, what's the matter with the rest of you? You don't want to weed? Every gardener has to weed. And I learned on our simple farm on the shores of Mediterranean to do a lot of weeding with my hands. Sweet. By the way to do that. And it rains, they come back, you get to weed. Why? So that the, the peanut plants or other vegetables would be strong enough, sturdy enough to be able to make it. If we never watch the avenues of our souls the weeds will come in naturally without having to work at it 
Now it's interesting that Jesus said, this is what you do with your cares and burdens. Jesus always has good advice. The only problem sometimes, we're hesitant to follow his advice. Why not? He's the expert. He knows everything. And he says, when you have cares and crushing burdens, and some burdens people are facing, I call them divine burdens. Because humans cannot solve these burdens, only Jesus can. No wonder he said, not that he said, he invite us, come unto me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Many of us need rest and peace. I met people even here who have such heavy burdens that they are crushed under the weight. And I tell them, these burdens don't belong to you. They belong to Jesus. Your shoulder is not big enough to carry them. Your heart is not big enough to sustain them. That's what Alan White said in the Tsar of Ages. Jesus is hurt and offended when we don't trust him to give him our burdens, when we don't accept his invitation. Now, I'm sure when you carry your burdens, you don't mean to offend Jesus. But that's what the spirit of prophecy says. He feels offended when we don't trust him with our burdens. I talked to a mother here this week and she is worried about her prodigal son. So she came to me after my sermon about the prodigal son. She said, I've been carrying this crushing burden for so many years. And I'm so worried and stressed out and I pray and like God, is, God doesn't seem to answer my prayers. How would you help a mother like that? Crushed with the burdens of life. Crushed by these thorns, thistles, and briars. How do you help a person like that? If you're facing such a situation, how do you handle that? God has given us a sacred privilege to raise our children. They grow up and they leave home. And now you have to do the heroic thing of releasing them to God. Because we're not the real, real parents. God is the real father. Just release that burden to God. And the mother told me, but but I mean, how can I do that? He is my son. I said, let me remind you, he is also God, God's son. And God loves him more than you love him. Nobody loves my son more. No, no, God loves him more. Do you believe that? He's his heavenly father. And I call this the prayer of relinquishment. Relinquishment. Relinquish. Your son, your daughter, relinquish your burdens to God. Give them over to God. God is the expert. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. More than counselors, more than psychologists, more than psychiatrists, especially if not 
if they're not Christ-centered and biblically based in their counseling. By the way, be careful about sending your kids to some counselors. It doesn't matter if they have PhD degrees. If they don't counsel according to the Bible or according to Jesus, they might hurt you more than help you. Because they could mislead your kids and thus enable them to do more, to do more wrong things. You know, Ellen White described that kind of love, misguided love. She described being kind to some people, mistaking kindness. You think it's genuine love, you think it's true kindness, but actually it is misguided and it's mistaken. That's why Ellen White says in Great Controversy, she said, the ones who want to rebel, you know, people rebel. It's part of human nature. There is still stony ground. There is still hardened ground. There is still thorny ground. This is real life. And she said, this inspired counsel, those who want to rebel, those who want to go their own way, not Christ's way, will diligently search for people around them. Friends, acquaintances, colleagues, who would agree with them. They don't want to talk to people who don't agree with them. They only search out the people who agree with my rebellion. Why? So they can be enabled to do more of the same and feel better about themselves. Ellen White calls this kind of experience misguided love and mistaken kindness, which means you think by agreeing with such people, just to be nice, to be politically correct, you're doing a good thing. No, no, you're not doing a good thing. You enable them to do more of the same. No wonder Ellen White called it mistaken kindness and misguided love. What do the thorns in this parable of the sower found in Matthew 13? And I am focusing on one verse only, verse 7. The seed, the good seed, Sown by the good sower Jesus. Sown in good soil. And thistles, briars and thorns spring up. You know, I, this verb really is very indicative. They spring up like of, out of nowhere. I thought I planted peanuts. I thought I planted tomato plants. I thought I planted corn. How come these Terrible weeds and thistles are springing up. You weed them, they spring up again. And then Jesus, if you focus on the narrative in Matthew and Luke and Mark, these songs represent three things at least. Number one, the cares of this world. Oh, the cares of this world. 
can be real terrible thorns. Worry. Anxiety. Stress. The cares of this world. I want to read you something. You know, the more, the older I get, the more I teach, the more I preach, the more I love to use the Bible and the spirit of prophecy in that order. The Bible, then the spirit of prophecy. You know, when I was a young professor and pastor, I used to quote great theologians. I mean, I want to impress people. Look how much I know. Karl Barth. I don't care about Karl Barth. I care about Jesus. That's all. When I finished my graduate work, had to read thousands of pages of all these theologians who didn't even believe in the Bible. So I have resolved many years ago, my greatest professor is Jesus and not Karl Barth. I want to read you something. People talk about that someone being an author. Well, let me read you something from one of my books, Christ with to Pray. Hmm. Are you ready for this? Are you ready? It's going to help you and help me. You know, the, you know this from before the Zarb Ages. It says... Worry? What's wrong with worry and cares? Worry is blind. Do you like to be blind? I mean, sometimes I... Well, once in a while, I see this dream. I don't know why. Like I'm driving my car on the freeway. I'm going 70 miles an hour. And like for some reason, my eyes are blinded. Can't see a thing. Like I become so worried, I'm going to bump into a car, and I, and then when I wake up, I'm so relieved. I wasn't driving. Worry is blind. How can you do your work blindfolded? And because worry is blind, what happens? Cannot discern the future. But Jesus is never blind. Isn't that good? Even when we're blinded with tears that we cannot see, even when we're blinded with worry that we cannot discern, Jesus, his eyes are always open. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. He watches over us every second. But Jesus sees the end from the beginning. In every difficulty, he has his way prepared to bring relief. In how many difficulties? Every. He can deal with every thistle, briar, and thorn. Our Heavenly Father has a thousand ways to provide for us of which we know nothing. Here we know nothing. We feel like we are in a prison house with no openings, thick walls. 
No escape, no way out, according to us. But God who sees the end from the beginning, already prepared a thousand ways to bring relief. Wow. Lord, please apply one of these thousands. I only need one. Please apply it to my condition today. Does that work in real life? Yes, it does. This young man in my class, we had prayer requests at the beginning of my classes. And he said, I'm embarrassed to share this with you. Dr. Saman, you're lecturing about the sower and the thorns, and I have such a big thorn. It's actually a thistle. It wounds, it cuts. And I'm embarrassed to share it with the class, but I have to share it with somebody. My dad, being an elder in the church, I guess he blamed it on midlife crisis. I mean, I don't know what it is. You know, I live my life year after year, trusting the Lord, and I guess I never experienced it. But some people have midlife crisis. That's real. And he decided, it shocked all of us, he decided to pack some stuff in his suitcase and go and shack with his young secretary. He said that God loved him so much, he wanted him to be happy. You know, some people actually have this kind of theology. Why are you committing adultery? Because God wants me to be happy. Wow. What about God's commandments? Well, these are just suggestions. These are ideas that nobody can reach. They're not suggestions, they're commandments. It's not relative, it's absolute. Please, I'm so embarrassed to say this to my dad, but we're desperate. My mother is so shocked and sad. My dad is blind. So he prayed for me in class. And then I kept thinking about his dad and the student of mine who was hurting terribly. The thistles, the thorns, bit it with flesh and wounded his heart. So I went to visit him in the evening in the dorm because I do that. I visit all my students. Give them Bible studies, pray with them, lead them to Jesus. So I visited him. Thank you, Dr. Tom. Dr. Samar visiting me. Can we pray again? You know, when I pray for people... Uh, I don't know how you pray, but this is the best way for me to pray. I said to him, my good student, you know, in class we talk about prayer. So I'm coming to pray with you and for your dad. But my faith is puny. But Christ's faith is powerful. I have decided to join my puny faith with Jesus' powerful faith. We're coming at you together. And then I have decided before coming here to take my measly prayer and indict it with Jesus' mighty prayer. So Jesus and me united praying for you, Dad. And we knelt together in his room. I prayed with all the sincerity I could muster. 
As I was in the middle of my prayer, I was ready to say amen, but the Lord impressed me to pray certain words about his father because I was partner with Jesus in praying together. And it's my partner, Jesus, impressed me to pray these words that I wasn't planning on. And the Lord impressed me to pray this way. And Lord, as you move into that apartment to help this father who's blinded, may now, by your power, may he lose total interest in this woman. I made a little mistake. May she lose total interest in him. Just minor difference here. And even though I'm told she is petite and pretty and he's a big guy, give her strength beyond herself to pull away from him and pack all his trinkets and goodies in his suitcase, zip it up, and throw it on the street. And I kind of surprised myself praying. I don't pray that way normally. And once she was finished with the suitcase, go back and grab him with strength beyond herself and shove him and shove him to the entrance door and then push him out. And may he fall on the brick steps and bruise himself. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. And, they, and my son looked at me and said, what got into you? I, I don't know. I think Jesus got into me. He said, wow, this was something. You think this might happen? I said, well, I don't know. I just obeyed what the Lord wanted me to pray. He said, that, that's amazing. Imagine if such thing happens. That would be a miracle. Well, let's wait and see. So the next day I saw him in class. He said, his mother called him. She said, somebody was praying for your dad. Mighty prayers. I told mom, it wasn't my professor's mighty prayers. It was the mighty prayers of Jesus. Joined to the measly prayers of Dr. Saman. So what happened? My, oh, I'm relieved. Oh, I'm so thankful to God. What happened? Tell me. I'm eager to know what happened. She said, well, can you imagine? This young lady lost total interest in you, dad. Like she just pulled away from him. I don't want you anymore. I mean, I know women can be impulsive and emotional and changeable. Nobody says amen here. But this was not her. It was the Holy Spirit convicting her heart to let go of him. She pulled away from him. And you know this brown suitcase your dad takes to travel from place? Yes. She put all his trinkets and goodies in it. And she took it to the entrance door and she threw it out. And when she was finished with the suitcase, now she went to your dad. And you know, your dad is big and she is petty. Yes. Oh, she had extra power. And she shoved him and shoved him and threw him on the steps. And he fell and injured, bruised his legs and knees. Was it because of my... Absolutely not. It's because of Jesus' faith and Jesus' prayers working through us. A thousand ways to bring relief which do nothing. That was one of the ways we prayed about. So please, if you're facing a tough situation, a thorny problem, don't hesitate to ask for one of the thousand ways to bring relief that God has already prepared for us.
Another thing to cause worry and anxiety. Ellen White talked about giving our lives to Jesus, being converted, and there you're in the embrace of Christ, protected. But she said the devil, the devil like a roaring lion, he can still make noise. Like the lions we have on this campus, they roar. I'm so glad they're caged. Oh, well, by the way, they don't even have to be caged. Evil Asians, like roaring lions, don't have to. Why? Because, because the Lion of Judah, Jesus, control all lions. And they defeated lions, if we believe that. They defeated lions. Satan was defeated on the cross. So she said, here, with the embrace of the loving Jesus... We have given our lives to him. But she said, the devil can still whisper doubt and disbelief in our ears and hearts. While we were, while we are embraced by Jesus, he can still make noise. So I'm really pushing this to the end here. That we have to be careful even when everything seems to be okay. And I, before talk, I just want to read it to you. In my book, Christ with the Restoration, page 117. It's an amazing statement. I mean, are you ready for this? This is really amazing. I love the spirit of prophecy. Can you imagine how gracious God is? He gave us such a precious gift in the spirit of prophecy for the last days, to help us for the last days. How do we treat his precious gift? I mean, Abigail, look at that. She didn't know she was to be involved in this. Abigail, this is your husband here who looks so mature. Does he ever give you gifts like birthday, Christmas? I'm putting you on the spot here. You know, and maybe he spent like a thousand dollars for a gift. A thousand dollars. Beautiful gift. You love the gift. Do you throw it away? Do you trample on it? And this is just a gift for a thousand dollars. And God gave us a gift in a prophet. And very small minority of Seventh-day Adventists ever opened the books. I wonder how God feels about his gift being so mistreated. I want to read this to you with, with some feeling to let you know what I'm emphasizing. If we educated our souls to have more faith, more love, greater patience, a more perfect trust in our Heavenly Father, we would have more peace and happiness as we pass through the, the conflicts of life. The Lord is not pleased. Every time I read something like that, the Lord is not pleased, I want to know what I displease Him with and I want to correct it right away. 
Please tell me what displeases you. Because I always want to please you. And here she says, the Lord Jesus is not pleased to have us fret. F-R-E-T. And worry ourselves out of the hands of Jesus. That's interesting, isn't it? The statement implies we are in the hands of Jesus. We're in the arms of Jesus. Secure, protected, but worried. And fretting can take us out of the arms of Jesus into the arms of the waiting enemy. So let us not fret and worry ourselves out of the hands of Jesus. Another one. When we are brought into trial, we are not to fret and worry. We should not rebel or worry ourselves out of the hand of Christ. Can you imagine that? We're in our home, in our living room. Everything is peaceful, and we're in the arms of Jesus. (laughs) And we hear the whisper of Satan in our heart to doubt, to be discouraged. By the way, every time you become discouraged, remember the source. Jesus is never the source of discouragement. Jesus specializes in encouragement. Satan specializes in discouragement. We are not to worry ourselves out of the hand of Christ. We are to humble the soul before Christ. Third one. I'm summarizing here. If you feel at liberty to moan and groan. These two words rhyme together, you know, moaning and groaning. Do you ever meet people like that? Do you ever meet people like that? Every time I meet some people, let's start again a new chapter of groaning and moaning. And that can go for quite a while. And so I use the humor to, to get them away from that. Because the more you more and groan, the, the, the worse you feel. So if we feel at liberty to moan and groan over what? Bereavements. Things that are passed out of your keeping. Things that you cannot change or alter. You will neglect the present duties lying directly in your pathway. Look unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher of your faith. Never give up, but always look up and see light in the face of Jesus. Turn your attention. This is very intentional. Don't let the thorns grow. Turn your attention away from subjects. These are the thistles here, which make you gloomy and sad. Wow. Turn, the verb turn is the imperative tense. Turn. Turn your attention away from anything that makes you discouraged and sad. For if you don't do that, you become an agent in the hands of the enemy 
to multiply gloom and darkness and you will make the atmosphere surrounding you dark and forbidding. That's interesting. So this, in the third statement, she is going further. She is saying, if you allow yourself to covex and gloom and do, you, 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 you keep mourning things you cannot change in the past. What happens? You worry yourself out of the hands of Jesus into the hands of the waiting enemy, the devil, to join him in spreading gloom and doom. It's interesting. From the hands of Jesus into the hands of the enemy. Just like that. And by the way, God uses us, but Satan can use us too. Look at Peter. Jesus, you are the, the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. And few moments later, Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Be careful. We can be used by both forces, good and evil, that quickly. Even as we think. Well, how, what do you do with that? Last time we talked about submitting yourself to Christ, resisting the devil, he'll flee from you. We talked about that. That's a wonderful promise. What do we do with this one here? Well, I heard a story about a young girl who said, while I am embraced by Jesus, the devil can still talk and roar. The devil can still whisper things in my ears. So this is what I do. I said, Jesus, see, turn your, turn your attention away from the problem and focus on Jesus. So she was focused on Jesus. Jesus, please do me a favor. You're an expert to answer the door when Satan knocks. And now I hear Satan knocking. He's at it again. He's finding an opportune time. So would you please do me a favor? You're an expert at doing it. Please answer the door. I mean, maybe that's just a simple childish example. It works. I do it. I'm facing a struggle, a discouraging situation, and I'm dwelling. I say, Lord, before I start dwelling on this, I'm turning away from it. I'm deliberately turning away from it. Would you please answer the door? Because I know Satan is knocking. I do that. It works for me. The grace of God works for me. So, the story goes, Christ smiles, he says, thanks for asking me. I'm glad you need me. I'm honored you would need me. And he goes and opens the door. And when Satan sees the face of Jesus, instead of the face of this young girl, he says, I'm sorry, I got the wrong address. May, when Satan comes knocking at the door of your heart, he may always find the wrong address. You know something? Being too conscientious can be a thorn, can be a thistle. Now Satan gets us by being too conscientious or not conscientious at all. Some of my students hardly show up to class and don't feel bad about it. Say, hey, by the way, we missed you the last two months. Really? Why? I haven't seen you. It's okay. Don't worry about it. 
These are the people who might live, you know, no stress at all, they might live longer. You know, they don't worry about anything. I have students, pre-med, pre-dental, you know, oh, Dr. Saman, I, I, I'm, I was late five minutes last week. I, I don't know what to do to remedy the situation. I said, it's okay. You know, I allow, you know, I, I, I allow three absences a semester. It's okay. Are you sure it's going to affect me? No, no, it's not going to. And I had a, a young lady who got an A in um, study of Daniel, and she missed one point. She got 99% for the whole semester. I mean, like we don't give percentage, we just give A's. In. So she got a straight A, solid A. Oh, it bothered her. How in the world she could miss one point? I want to know. So I said, this is okay. You have any? No, no. And I'm not worried about it. I'm an A still. Four point. But I, I don't want to miss anything. So we began to do some research. I spent a whole hour of my time doing research. Look at the whole semester. Research papers, quizzes, reports, tests. And finally, finally I zeroed it on the problem. She missed a true and false question from the textbook. It was underlined. I reviewed it with them. She said, well, but I don't agree with the textbook. I said, well, you know, we have to have a standard. No, textbook is wrong. But even if it is, we have to go with a standard. And then finally I said, I mean, look, I'll go ahead and give you an extra point. So you have 100%. I mean, I'm a good professor, right? It's very generous. Let's not argue. I'll give you the point. You have a hundred percent. I'm changing it right now. Does it make a difference? She said, no. I need to earn it myself. You talk about salvation by works. No grace at all. So some people are too conscientious. Ellen White warns us against that. You know, I happen to be very conscientious. I grew this, I grew on a farm. My parents really taught me to be conscientious. There are people who commit great sins and feel nothing about it. If a student in any way felt bad in my class, one time during a final exam, a theology major who wanted me to recommend it to the ministry, a senior, he was just making noise during the final exam, disrupting people. They couldn't concentrate. So I whispered in his ear, my good student, can you calm down a little bit? Nobody heard us. He took the test. He shoved it in my face. And he said angry words. And he rushed out of the class and banged the door behind him. I felt bad that something was struggling with. So I went to the dorm to visit him. Tell him, I feel bad. You felt bad for some reason. I'm here to listen to you. My ears and heart are open. Really? That's someone, you're crazy. I said, what do you mean? He said, I was the villain. I was the one who made a fool of myself in the class. I'm supposed to go to apologize to you coming to me. I said, doesn't matter. We want to make things right. And so... I tell my wife, I haven't done enough. I could have done more. Oh my, I'm retired from teaching. 
last year. But I still go to the university campus. I still counsel students. I still give Bible studies. I still teach for them. I just want to do everything. Uh, when Jesus comes, I want him to find me laboring for him until my last breath. But I have to be careful. I have to be careful about that. Satan so get us when we're too conscientious. We're not conscious at all. You know what helps me? I want to tell you what helps me. The story of Mary anointing the body of Jesus. She was doing her best for Jesus. Very conscientious. But when we do our best, there are people who criticize us for doing our best. Have you ever had that experience where you do your best? People criticize you. And that's what happened with the church members. With the disciples. They criticize her harshly. I don't hear Mary defending herself. Isn't that interesting? Because when we criticize, we become defensive. You know something? I, I came to this conclusion. When we criticize harshly for the good we have done, this is my conclusion. Because Christ is our defense lawyer. And he wants us to be his clients. And he never loses a case when we trust him. Never loses a case. So what happened to Mary? She was quiet. Why? Because Christ was defending her. And so I can tell you, the more defensive I become when I'm criticized, the less defense I experience of Jesus. And the less defensive I am, the more I experience of Jesus' defense. Why in the world we should defend ourselves if Christ is defending us? How did he defend her? I look at the Arabic, Aramaic, Hebrew and Greek, especially Greek. And the word is translated in the NIV, beautiful. Stop criticizing her. Why? Because she has done a beautiful thing to me. Wow. How did he find something beautiful? He said, because she has done her part. She has done what she could. When we do our part conscientiously, when we do what we can, Christ calls it something beautiful. So how does help me when I do my best? The Lord looks at me and says, Philip, you've done your part. You've done all you could. You've done something beautiful to me. And my friends, please, let's settle this. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough. Are you with me? If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough. And after talking about this in Zav Ages, Ellen White said, when we do our best, Christ becomes our righteousness. If we do things conscientiously, if we do our part, if we have the right disposition, if we have the right motives in our hearts, it's never perfect. But Christ steps into the fray and he compensates for our deficiencies. Isn't that good? My, I have a sermon entitled, The Great Compensator. Like with Abraham Lincoln, The Great Emancipator. 
God is a great compensator. When he knows we're doing our best, we're doing our part. We do all we can with a clear conscience, with a good heart, good motives. He says it's something beautiful. And he steps in to compensate for our deficiencies. I call this theology of hope. Any other theology doesn't give you hope. Compensate for our deficiencies. My, I need to... Um, I need to stop. I'll finish my sermon this evening. But before I stop, oh, there's so many good things here. Oh, what time is it? Uh, the floor of the time, is it the same as Georgia? Like, are you one hour behind? The riches. Riches are good, great blessings, but they can be thorns in the heart and the flesh. People spend their time accumulating wealth. Million is not enough. Two million is three million. It's not enough. There is no end to making money. I meet, as I try, I meet rich seven. There are millionaires seven there. I went to one of them. Didn't have children. He had all the riches in the world. He was dying. He died a few days later with a lot of money. Millions upon millions upon millions. I wish they would give these millions to your organization. Millions. Didn't know what to do with the money. He only worried about it. He didn't use much of it. He just worried about what to do with it, how to invest it, the stock market, all of that. He hired financial advisors to take care of that. I said, you know, our school needs money. You know, there are orphanages around the world. Uh, you know, I mean, it's go, you're not going to take it with you. By the way, remember, especially if you're getting older, you take nothing with you. My brother passed away a few months ago. Took nothing with him. Use it while you can. I mean, you take, they don't use dollars in heaven. There is no stock market in heaven. And when people come to the end, they take nothing with them. In this case, he didn't have children. I said, Uncle Sam will take it. And Uncle Sam doesn't mind taking money, by the way. They have many ways to spend it. So he said, pass this on. I grew up poor. I saved every penny. I got things on discount and sale. I worked for every penny. It's like tied in my hand, and I can't open my hands. I'd rather die than open my hands to give it to God's work. Oh, the world, and he died with his money. Spent his life saving money. Invested his life in saving every, for years and years, and now he couldn't get let go of it. And then the thorn thistles of, like Luke says, the pleasures of life. Pleasures. You know, it's inter we have a very interesting culture. Like when I first came to this country, people tell me, Philip, are you having fun yet? What kind of a question is that? We live for fun. 
What kind of fun? I don't care. Are you having fun? And this is the experience I want to share with you about fun. Pleasures of life. God is not against pleasure. God is not a pleasure killer, but he focuses on genuine pleasure. Not, he, he focuses on genuine fun. God never focused on fake fun. A lot of people are enjoying fake fun. It costs your life. You know, we talk about fake news. You have to be, pay attention to fake fun. That's a lot of thistles and thorns. So here, I'll conclude this experience. Do, do you like stories, by the way? You don't? You sure? Weren't you here last night? I saw you, but I couldn't see you because it was kind of dark. Now I see you. Thank you for being a good sport and helping my sermon yesterday. So a student walks into my class, last day events, eschatology. He was a troublemaker. I could have dismissed him my class the first two weeks. But you know something? When I have a troublemaker in my classes, I smile because this is God's opportunity to perform a miracle. And so, it was the middle of the semester. He was getting an F. Hmm. Uh, because he never took notes. He missed. Whenever he got to class, it, he was always late, like half an hour. As he walked in, he started disrupting the class. So now he walked half an hour. It was a Friday. I had my class Monday, Wednesday, Friday. 11 o'clock. He walked to my class half an hour, uh, half an hour late. And he began to stop the class and me. And so what happened? I was lecturing on the cancer of sin. Because sin is a cancer. Jesus is the great divine oncologist. And his name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from the spiritual cancer. The Bible never says he'll save his people in the cancer. From the cancer. Can you imagine going to an oncologist? He said, let's cuddle your cancer and let's uh, pet your cancer. Let's, let, let's really be nice and loving to the Absolutely not. Dr. Saman, you're saying sin is cancer and sin is bad? No, you're dead wrong. Because I experienced the fun of sin. And it's really fun. You should try it sometime. So what you're saying is wrong. Sin is not bad. It gives you fun. If you were in my place, young lady, what would you have said to such students? And they are 90 students listening to What would you have said? Brother John Dyson, what would you have said? I mean, it's a delicate situation. You could have a problem. So the Lord impressed me to say this. My good student, I'm so glad you're in class. Didn't say you was late. Glad you're in class. And by the way, you're absolutely right. Sin is fun. Did you hear what he said? Dr. Saman said sin is fun. I wish I have a tape recorder to let the whole world. Dr. Saman believes sin is fun. I said, but wait a second. 
There are different kinds of fun. The fake fun that Satan gives us is temporary. It leaves a bad taste in the mouth. Mm, bad taste in the mouth and heart. And then, after we have all that fun of sin, Satan comes around to demand his wages. Satan wants payments. Can you imagine being so spiritually? Can I the word, need the word stupid, spiritually? That here we have fake fun that leaves a bad taste in the mouth. And then at the end of our fun, Satan comes and he says, I want my wages. What do you want? A million dollars? No, more than that. What? A zillion dollars? No. I want every pound of flesh. I want your soul. I want your life. You pay for this fake fun with your life. And everybody in class was quiet. A pin drop. Now let me tell you about the fun Jesus gives. Genuine fun. Real fun. It leaves a very good taste in the mouth. It's not temporary. It lasts. And when Jesus comes, instead of depriving us of life, he says, I'm here to do the opposite, to give you life eternal. That was not a part of my lecture. The Lord impressed me to leave my notes aside and lecture this way. And I said, I know you're smart. I know you want to join the side of the winner Jesus and then the loser Satan. I know that. And I know the Holy Spirit convicted your hearts right now. So if you want to decide for the winner Jesus to give you genuine fun and eternal life and reject Satan the loser who gives you terrible fake fun and then he wants your life to be a payment, how many will be smart spiritually to join the winner Jesus? A class of 90, 49 students came forward to give their lives to Jesus. You see how God used his troublemaker to bring people to Jesus. And after the class, they left to go to eat. And this troubled young man lingered on. He always left before the class ended. This time, he stayed longer. That was strange. And he was pacing the floor in the back of the amphitheater, back and forth, back and trouble. And I was praying, Lord, trouble him more. Trouble him more, dear Lord. Oh, make his life miserable. Miserable. Please answer my prayer. And finally, he stopped pacing. He looked at me, pointed his finger at me. Dr. Saman, you just ruined my weekend in Chattanooga. What do you mean? Well, I'm trying to have some fun, but now I feel guilty about it. Thank you, Lord, for asking. Please feel more guilty. Some people are against guilt, by the way. Modern psychology, others say, no, guilt is an aberration. Oh, no. No. Feel fortunate if you do something wrong to feel guilty. That means there's hope for you. That means the Holy Spirit is still working on your heart. So I said, you know, now at this point, what you do, you take spiritual authority in people's life. Young man, Johnny, come forward. I want to pray more for you. Do I have to? You have to. If you don't, I'll flunk you. 
he came forward. This a professor and his troubled student. I think that's what Christian education is about. So we knelt together, put my arm around him. Oh, dear Lord, thank you for using my student here to lead 49 students to Christ. I thank you for him, how you used him in such a mighty way. And now, dear Lord, you got to help him. He needs help. May you continue to convict his heart more than ever before. May you give him absolutely no peace until he surrenders, submits to you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Got up from my knees. He looked at me and said, Dr. Saman, after that prayer and lecture, I think I'm in big trouble. I got to do something. He went to his room. He struggled with God all Friday afternoon. Friday evening, he was going to go to Chattanooga to have some fake fun. He said, I felt God was holding me in the dorm. I tried to get out the door like my shoes were nailed to the floor. And so I went back to my room and I couldn't sleep. At 2 o'clock in the morning, agonizing over sitting on the fence and not making a decision for Jesus. He said, 2 o'clock. Finally, I decided couldn't take this anymore and I submitted to Christ for the first time in my life and then I slept like a baby in the morning got up instead of going to chat I went to church I got involved in missionary activities in the after I loved it it left a good taste in the mouth he told me this Monday morning I go to class like 20 minutes early to meet my students and he was early he was there half an hour early something changed his life to talk to me and he told me the story, what happened. He said, now, Dr. Saman, you mind if you give me five minutes to share my testimony with the class? I want to share it. He said, well, I got to share it. I said, you could have five minutes. It's okay. He stood up before the class. He began to share about his life. How the lecture affected him. How he agonized with God for hours and now has new, born, again Christian. And he said at the end, now by the way, he took five minutes, took ten minutes. I, I tried to cross things out of my notes and then he took half an hour. And I said, I, I have no time for the lecture. And the Lord said to me, hey, don't worry about your lecture. He is giving the most effective lecture. And he... So I thought to myself, hey, put your notes aside. Don't worry about time and notes. You know, if you can't beat him, join him. So I started praying for him. Give it to us. At the end, he said, you know, Dr. Saman made an appeal. Not all of you stood up. I was one of them. But now I stood up. Now I made a decision for Christ in my room at 2 o'clock in the morning. Now I appeal to you, my fellow young friends. The ones who didn't come forward, come forward now. And 24 young people came forward. Let's bow our heads. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you for your people. I thank you for the Holy Spirit that convicts people's hearts. Oh dear Lord, we know 
It's a part of life to have thistles and thorns and obstacles and worry. So, dear Lord, my specific prayer is this. When we face with a storm and we're fearful, may you stand in the midst of our storm as the prince of peace and stretch for your hand above us and say, peace be still. Dear Lord, when we're faced with the thistles for burning furnace, may we know that you'll walk with us and you are the consuming fire. Therefore, fight fire with fire and you gain the victory for us. And dear Lord, if we're stuck in a den of hungry lions, may you, the Lion of Judah, stand up and close the mouths of hungry lions so we can embrace you the lion of Judah and not the lions that represents the evil one so my friends the appeal is this you heard this message I always make appeals because Satan makes appeals all the time it's about time for us to make appeals for Jesus and the appeal to your heart is this. Are you facing thistles, thorns, briars in your life? Please open your heart to trust the shepherd Jesus, to trust the line of Jew, to trust the prince of peace. And if we ever tempted to be troubled, Thinking about the time of trouble, may we always turn our eyes away from the trouble and focus on Jesus who will walk with us through the time of trouble. As our deliverer, as our sustainer, as our defense lawyer. If you receive this in your heart, as you accept the appeal from the heart of Jesus. While your eyes are closed, would you please raise your hand? Because I want all of heaven to see it. We're living in the last days and we need to have this experience with Christ. God bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.